Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. It's so wonderful to see everyone here this morning. Happy, happy Christmas Sunday. Happy Christmas, Christmas Sunday. It's uh, a really crazy Christmas. <laughs> Guys, I can't stop cracking up at how crazy our room looks like right now. We moved the tree over so you guys can have some Christmas spirit. Jesus. I don't know why I did that. Um, but I'm so excited uh, that it's Christmas. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but it's a really wonderful holiday that's overly commercialized, but it's still about our Lord. Um, and, you know, uh, holidays come and go, seasons come and go, but we are, we are in our sermon series on Micah, and even if it's Christmas Sunday, that doesn't change. So if you guys can turn uh, your Bibles with me to Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7, we are reading from the ESV, Micah chapter 7, verses 15, 15, good, I got you, reverb, goodbye, okay, Micah chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. <laughs> it's funny. Micah chapter 15. 15 through 20. 15 through 20. Those are the verses. Uh, we're going to be reading it. And I'll open us up with a word of prayer. Oh, we're not, we're not praying right now. I'll be reading... <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. I'm in such a good mood today. I think it's because it's Christmas Sunday. But we're not, just to clarify, we're not praying right now. We're going to read God's word together. And then we're going to pray. Micah chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. If you guys are next to anybody, shoot them a smile. Maybe a Merry Christmas. Mouth it to them. Um, greet one another and your families. Um, and if you're alone, greet me. Say Merry Christmas to the screen. Merry Christmas. Um, we'll... We are in alone in our rooms or in our families, in our homes, but we are still together in spirit and it is Advent. So we are going to be standing for God's holy and perfect word. Would we rise for the reading of God's word? Micah chapter seven, verses 15 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nation shall see and be ashamed for all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you remain standing with me from wherever you are as I pray? Abba, our year is ending. It is Christmas time. And God, trees are great and lights are great, but there is so much mourning, so much injustice in this world right now. 
God, I pray for those who are hurting this Christmas, for those who have lost loved ones and do not have joy in their hearts this Christmas. Father, that this morning you would soften their burden, that you would soften their pain, that you would bind up their wounds. Father, Lord, for every single person across this country, that they would find peace in you as your creation. Lord, we thank you for this blessed and beautiful Sunday. God, we thank you that we are alive and well. We thank you, God, that you are with us. And even if we are not, we praise your name. We praise you for all that you've done. We praise you for all that this holiday represents. Abba Father, I'm about to preach your word. God, may it not be my words, but may it be yours. Hide me behind your cross. That only you are magnified and Holy Spirit, I humbly submit to you. Would you take every single person, wherever they are right now, in every single room, would you take them to the next level with you? Be with us. Help us to remember you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you guys have not, um, now is the time in the beginning of the passage. Um, now is the time to prepare your elements if you haven't already. I know we put a notification or a chat in the in the chat box. But right now is the time. Make sure you have your wine or your grape juice or your water or whatever it is that you're using for the love banquet and your bread or your crackers or whatever it is. Have it in front of you, okay? Just if every person is 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 having it separately, just have it in front of you. Make sure you have it on hand. Okay. Today's sermon is called Hope, Active Living Hope. The sermon title is Active Living Hope. The main idea is hope in God again. Hope in God again, even as we lament and intercede. Hope in God again, even as we lament or intercede. When you think of the word hope, <coughs> what do you think of? I think of, you know, like those really American countryside, like wooden things that you hang and it said every Cracker Barrel um, because that's clearly indicative of America. Cracker Barrel. What they, that's actually very, it's very like what they sell at Cracker Barrel. I, I'll never forget what the first time I went to Cracker Barrel was Christmas season in Binghamton and I was so shocked. I was so shocked that American food that could be that diverse, like that there could be so many different types of gravy and cause it's gravy and that there could, that they could have like food restaurants that have a whole holiday shop. And I remember I was so, I was just, there, there was so much culture shock. It's like the sheer amount of farmhouse banners just with wood, like these crates that are painted over and like dusted down. And they say like faith, hope, love. You know what I'm talking about? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I was so shook. I was so shook. Leaving New York City, going upstate New York, and then going to a Cracker Barrel for the past shook. But then here, there's so many Cracker Barrels. So indicative of New England. Um, but <laughs> like, when you think of hope, what do you think of? I think of the Telltale. I also think of uh, Chris Tomlin's album. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, uh, but growing up, before I heard my alarm, every morning, I would hear Chris Tomlin's Jesus Messiah play from the kitchen along with my mother's gift of tongues. My uh, alarm was always set for 6.30 a.m. because I was a commuter, but I would always hear it at 6.15 and I would get so mad that I lost 15 minutes of sleep, but it's Jesus Messiah, so I can't even get mad. Uh, so I always think of Chris Tomlin's Faith, Hope, Love album, and I think of those farmhouse banners. What do you guys think of when you think of hope? Um, I also think of Beauty and the Beast. 
all of you guys should watch it. Um, there's a there's a Christmas movie for Beauty and the Beast, and there's this little ornament, this like magical enchanted ornament that starts singing about hope. And she like stands, she like climbs the Christmas tree. She's just singing like this. She's doing this with her glass arms that are just cones. And she's like this, singing about hope. So I think of those three things. I don't know what you guys think of, um, but a lot of us we have these, you know, cultural references to hope. Um, a lot of positive things, you know, hope, cheer, Christmas cheer, caroling, candlelight, little little children in Sunday school singing. Last year we had all the teachers wear sunglasses and dance. And that was a big culture shock. Uh, <laughs> so many things about Christmas hope and cheer that we might think of. Um, culture shock in the best way for those of you who are listening, who are on Sunday school teach. I'm so, so grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for you guys and for all that they do to serve the Sunday school. But yeah, so all of these things and, and we think of all these positive things, but you know, what What do you think of when you think of hope? This year has been quite bleak. And if there is, I mean, aside, putting aside all the vulgar memes of 2020, wishing 2020 dead and um, a music video where... 2020 and Satan are dating and you know all of these vulgar things not that that's actually what's happening it's a reference to a video um 2020 has been very 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 bleak and there has been so much pain and so much brokenness that has erupted over 2020 that when we when we think about advent you know, with hope as the crux of Advent, it might be really difficult to engage in the practice of hope. And, you know, Micah chapter 6 and 7 are the most crucial. Every chapter, of course, is crucial. But Micah chapter 6 and 7 is some of the most crucial parts of, of this book. And the last bit of Micah 7 ends on this hopeful note. And today we will be learning about what hope looks like. When hope comes in, how to have hope and how to live out hope, especially while we are in this bleak situation. So if we look at the beginning, I haven't read it. We read from 17 through 20. But um, if you look, and I highly encourage that you guys go read Micah 7 on your own this week. But if you look at the beginning of chapter 7, it starts with, woe is me. It ends with, you know, you will show your steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to do that to the fathers of old. But the, the beginning of chapter 7 starts with, woe is me. Micah is hopeless. Why? And as you read, it says, For I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. He's hopeless because of disappointment and the lack of fruit in Israel. So what's going on through this book is that this book is a collection. It's not necessarily a um, free-flowing story or narrative, but it's a collection of Micah's prophetic words throughout his time as prophet, right? And time has passed since chapter 6, and now Hezekiah's re- King Hezekiah's reign and the revival that came over Israel with it is done, and Manasseh is on the throne as king. And in the in the end and this is the end of his ministry as a as a prophet of Israel and there is severe disappointment because of the lack of fruit in ministry. At first Israel experiences the revivals of Hezekiah, but when the next guy Manasseh comes in, it dies again. It dies again. And what was blooming fruit in the ministry of Israel has been sucked dry 
He uses this analogy of desiring to eat, his soul desiring the harvest of grapes that should come because he has painstakingly toiled away only to find nothing. Nothing. No cluster to eat. No first ripe fig that my soul my soul desires. What does that mean? Micah goes into greater detail. The godly has perished from the earth. There is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. And the great man utters the evil desire of his soul, and they weave them, they weave them together. The best of them is like a briar that's a thorn. The most upright of them, a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now, their confusion is at hand. It talks about this decline in public morality. It talks about how people hunt each other. For what? Self-gain. They hunt each other with a net. Talks about leaders, princes, and judges that ask for a bribe. Why is it significant that it's both princes and judges? See, judges are the people that uphold fairness and justice in a country. The word judge is synonymous in the Hebrew as the word ruler. And there's an entire book called the book of judges because judges ruled Israel before kings and there's judiciousness that defines just rulers princes are royalty they signify highest authority and standing so the people that are supposed to uphold justice uphold order uphold morality uphold authority they are the ones to take a what? What here is being used as the opposite of injustice, uh, opposite of justice? A bribe. The great man utters the evil desire of his soul. People are successful because of special bribes or financial rewards to grease the wheels of government. And not one righteous man disappeared from the face of the earth. There's not even one righteous man. Not even one. Now, this is clearly written in the Hebrew to be a bit of exaggeration but it's to show how he feels it's to show how he feels how is Michael feeling I don't know if you can relate you know when something when you know when you've worked your hardest your stinking best for something and then it disappears like like what Michael was talking about, where everything is gone for nothing in the harvest. If you're a parent, I know my mom has said about this, said that, said this. My mom is actually, she watches all of these every week and she always comments on how I never fail not to mention her. So I was going to not mention her, but I just did. Hi, mom. Um, you know when, I, I know, my, I, I, I gave my mom a lot of trouble about this. Um, but if you guys are parents, you might relate. Um, when you, you know, raise your child all your life, you know, you, you painstakingly, painfully bring them out into the world. And then you lose, you literally lose all your sleep for years trying to raise them because they are newborns and they, they, all they want, all they do is 
eat and poop and sleep and cry. And then you raise your children to be dignified, to have everything that they need, even things that you might not have had for yourself. And then they become teenagers. And they go, no, and they close the door on you and they stop listening to you and they try to go their own way. And you're like, oh my God, I have wasted all this time on my kids. And look at them, look at them. When you've worked your whole life for your kids and only to have them slam the door in your face. Um, I say this lightly, but it's, that's, let's be better to our parents, y'all. I mean, that's what I did. That's what I did. Um, it was, it's, it's sad when you, when you, when you try your best for something, usually it's like an equation. One plus one is two. You input a certain amount of work and you think that this is going to come out. Now, Micah is not focusing on his work. He's not focusing on his work saying like, oh, Israel should be better. I've worked so hard. But it's less about his work and it's more about the fact that Israel, even after years and years of revival practice, of revitalizing the church and revitalizing the temple, it takes a few years for a new king for Israel to go right back. Maybe a more compelling example of this would be in the church. And I hesitated to bring up this analogy or this example because I know in the UMC, we see pastor turnover for the head pastors and also for the youth pastors and and whatnot. But, you know, imagine like a ministry where the pastor has really cultivated a strong bond with the church and a community has become really tightly knit and everybody has come back to the Lord. And then that pastor leaves. And what happens? Within a matter of months, the church dwindles. Becomes a shell of what it was before. We hope, as pastors, we hope that that's not what's going to happen to our churches when they leave. But a lot of the times we as pastors, we forget that we, our job is not just to pastor the church, but to build the church up. To not need us as much as we might want to be needed. Um, but we live in this pastor-centric church culture where everything revolves on the health of the ministry of the pastor. And when that pastor leaves, what happens? Within a month, maybe a year, back to square one. It's this kind of like really bleak look at Israel. Micah has tried his best to be a major prophet like Hezekiah appointed him to be, to lead the charge for revival, to listen into the voice of God. And Israel was doing so well. Then Manasseh comes on. And it's all back to square one. Princes, judges, asking for money. People, it says here, put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. It's trickled down to the point where there's toxicity in the home. You might wonder, so Mike, are you judging them? Like, why so much anger, so much angst? Like, what's going on here? Like, why is Micah being like this? What is the purpose of this? Just to say it and cry out to God? No. And this is the first little bit of it. Micah is saying all of this to intercede. This this particular passage is written very similar to Abraham's prayer for Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know if you guys remember Genesis, but there's a point where Abraham breaks for Sodom and Gomorrah before the Lord and he prays for them. He says, everybody, 
Everybody has gone astray. There's not one righteous man. And he intercedes that God might not send judgment upon them. Now God listens to Abraham and he says, it trickled down just 40 men, just 20, just five, just one. And God gets to the point where he listens to Abraham. He says, if there's just one righteous man in Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not burn it down to the ground. But there turns out there were none. And it's, it's, it's writing that's very similar to that time. So Micah is not saying all of this to judge them because he's upset at them because it's his right to be angry with them, but he's saying it to intercede. Now Israel at this time, nearly 3000 years before today, would you say that our nation looks different? No. In fact, we live in a country where bribing people has become built into the system. It's called lobbying. Where money talks louder than morals, louder than ethics, louder than harmony, money talks in government. There's obviously hope in the relative good of humanity, but this bleak picture of people turning on each other for self-gain and for money is very much so our country today. And this starts off with, woe is me. Micah says, woe is me. He hits his chest and he weeps before the Lord. For what? To intercede. This is obviously not my point for today, but it's something to be said that we must not complain about our country for the sake of complaining. Are you interceding? Don't be quick to speak if you're not praying for your country. Micah isn't just talking to let off and blow off some steam. That's obviously not the point of this lament. When you lament, it's a prayer. But his prayer continues. And then right, right at the crux, right? A man's enemies are the men of his own home. And then Micah switches. He shifts like night and day. And he begins to acknowledge God. He starts, it's just a marked shift. He says in verses seven through eight, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, oh my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. What's going on here? Well, for one, Micah's clearly in a place where if he's mentioning his own enemies, maybe Israel is in a place where everybody is against each other, but clearly Micah has haters. And it's hard. I'm sure it's hard when Israel accepts pagan worship. I'm sure the hardest person to cohabit in that country would be the prophet of the Lord. It's like sitting on a cushion of thorns. Very prickly seat. But what's going on here? Michael makes a shift after stating his case. And he focuses on the sovereign control of life. What is he trusting that God will do? Number one, he's trusting that God will deliver them from their fallen estate. He's forgiving. He was trusting that God will forgive them of their sins. 
He's shaming those who have mocked God. And he's believing that God will do what he has always done. He goes on and on and on. And, and those are the cruxes of it. You know, it goes in, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him unless he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. My God will reinstate me. That's what my, my God is saying. Shepherd the people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. And Micah is praying with confidence that he believes that God will do what he always has done. Now, the first thing that I want to focus on this is verse 7 when it says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. In this particular verse, the word wait also means the word hope. And this is where the title of our sermon comes from. I will wait or I will hope for the God of my salvation. Micah is declaring the goodness of the Lord. He's declaring the goodness of who God is, even when his situation is bleak. And he says, this is what they're doing. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait Why is the word wait the same word as the word hope? Hope is waiting on God. Hope is waiting on God. It's not an, it's not a passive, like, pipe dream of a better life. A fleeting wish. Hope is not meant to be based on your desires. As we see and preach and taught over and over again, maybe in some churches and mostly in our culture, when we say we hope for something, it's our desire, a dream, maybe a goal of ours, something that we hope to see. But hope is in something more tangible than a pipe dream. Hope was never meant to be in your desires. Hope is meant to be on God. So our understanding of hope as we know it has nothing to do with God. But hope is not grasping at straws. Hope is waiting on God. A tangible God. Hope is not short-lived. If hope was short, then it would not be hope. It would be expecting. But one key factor about hope is this element of waiting. This element of something that has not come to pass, but you wait. And what are you waiting on? Oftentimes, what you're waiting on is the object of your hope. But this says, I will wait on God. So then hope is not meant to be in circumstances. And hope is not meant to be in what we wish to see. Hope is meant to be, the object of our hope is meant to be God. So we've got hope completely wrong. And what is Micah hoping in? As I said before, that God will deliver them from their fallen estate, that God will forgive them of their sins, that God will shame those who have mocked the name of the Lord. Micah is believing in these things. Why? Why is Micah believing in these actions? Why is Micah hoping in these things? For deliverance and forgiveness, for vindication. Why does God... 
Why does Micah hope in this? Because Micah is not hoping. Micah is not hoping in this because he wants this to happen. Micah is hoping on this. He's hoping in this because he's waiting on God. And that's who God is. He's hoping in the deliverance and the forgiveness of sins. He's hoping in the vindication of the Lord. Not because, not just because this is the desire of his heart. Micah is waiting on God. And he's trusting in God. How does he live this hope out? How does Micah live out hope? From what we've seen here, how does Micah live out hope? Micah lives out hope through interceding and praising God before anything has come to pass. Michael lives out hope by interceding for people before God. You see, Micah is not hoping for a better nation of Israel. Micah is not hoping for a better future for the kingdom. Micah is hoping for the deliverance of his people because he's waiting on the Lord. And he intercedes. He prays for his nation before God because he trusts that God will do as he has said. And he believes that it will happen, but not without a change of heart for Israel. So Micah prays for Israel. Micah believes that God will do as he said he will. But Micah knows that Israel needs to repent. And so Micah asks God to shepherd his people. So that they can graze by streams of water in fertile land as in the days of old. At first glance, Micah's prayer is bleak. The way that Micah describes this country is sad. You and I might not feel that way. Why? Because that is us already. And we are so jaded that we do not even realize the severity of the state of our country spiritually. Do you realize that? You and I live every day. And we can sit with ourselves and we can live with ourselves knowing that people are marginalized. They are killed, exploited. We allow ourselves to become a part of a system where money talks because we're jaded. We're used to it. But Micah has this hope that's like a pipe dream that the nation will be delivered and forgiven. That God's people will see the light. Why does he hope in that? Because Micah is not seeking out better circumstances. Micah is trusting in the Lord. And then what happens? Verse 7, verse 15 the writing shifts. The verb tense shifts. And, it, and God begins to speak. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. 
like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds, turn in dread to the Lord our God. They shall be in fear of you. God will make himself known. The nations will be silent and people will be ashamed of their gods. God speaks. And then in verse 18, Micah praises him. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. The word delights is the word, same word to be willing. God is willing and not just willing, but he rejoices to love you. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob, steadfast love to Abraham, as you've sworn to our fathers from the days of old. It ends, and that's how the book of Micah ends, in praise to God, both for what he has done and what he will do. It's a bold hymn of faith in God's victory over sin and gives real hope for the future. What does that, you know, it's like, where does that confidence in God comes from? Come from? Where does that confidence in God come from? It's rooted in Micah's security of God's love. I've given this example many, many times. But we often trust that our parents will buy us, like when, you know, you say, what do you want for your birthday? And you say, a phone. They're like, no. You're like, no, please, everybody has it, right? But they say, okay. You finally, you nag them for days and days, and they finally say, okay, we'll get it for you. You say, yes. Why? The phone isn't even in your hands. All you have is the word of your parents. How come you trust that that phone is already yours? How come you are laughing and thanking them before the phone has even come into your hands? It's because you trust that they will do as they said because they love you. That's the assurance that Micah takes God's promises. God says, this is what I will do. But there's no sign of it in the world. And Micah, yet, he still says, Micah still says, trust. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He trusts that it'll be done. And he praises God for his steadfast love, even when everything around him doesn't look like it. It gives us pause. You know why it gives, you know, as I think about this, it gives me pause too. You know why? Because I have a hard time trusting in God. I'm just like you. I have a hard time trusting in the Lord. When the Lord says to me, Jane, I'm going to do something. I have a hard time trusting in the Lord. And I didn't know why. All my life, I have had such a hard time trusting in the Lord. You know what? When I was preparing this sermon this past week, I realized something. I realized that I have a hard time trusting in God because I have a hard time believing that he loves me. If I really trusted that God was both real and both and and also loved me, then if God has said something, what is there to doubt? Has he not made everything? Has he not made me? And if he's real and I believe that, then why shouldn't I trust when God says that he's going to do something? 
It's often because I don't trust that God loves me. I'm not secure in God's love for me. It's like when you have trust issues with your significant other, and that significant other says, I love you, and you say, okay. <laughs> That's me, oh my God. I, I can't, oh, that, that hit too close to home. I can't believe I gave that example. <laughs> you know, when, when that person says, oh, I love you with all my heart, you know, for the first time, you're like, whoa, Nelly. Okay, overwhelmed. All right, you stay in one corner of the room and I'll be right here. It's like, no, why are you pushing me out? It's like, whoa, okay, calm down, right? And when us, when our walls go up, our, our walls go up because we're afraid that that person doesn't love us the way that they say. But Micah trusts in God. He trusts that it'll be done because he trusts in the love of God. You might say, Jane, but everything is falling all around me. Yeah, you say to hope in God. Yeah, you say, you know, that hope is waiting on the Lord. And it's confidence in what he has said that he will do. But things suck out here right now. This world is completely fallen under. Everything around me is falling. My encouragement to you is that that does not change who God is. It doesn't change the reality of God. I've explained this time and time again. The world is broken because of people, not because of God. You cannot blame God for something that has been birthed from people. You cannot hold God accountable. If I have broken a chair, I must pay for it. I cannot just blame this Christmas tree. Ah, you were there. You were there. Why didn't you catch it with your leaves? You cannot just blame somebody who's there at the same time. You did it. You cannot just blame God for brokenness in this world. Simply because he's there. He is not the root of brokenness. Sin is. See, but it, and this is the crazy thing about God. That doesn't change who God is. First Timothy says, even when we are faithless, he will remain faithful. Not just because he loves us. He's faithful because that's just who he is. Whether or not I leave Wesley, Wesley will have a beard. It's not because of my relationship with Wesley. It's because Wesley just has a beard. Whether or not I am faithless to God, God will remain faithful. It's not because of our relationship. It's because God just has faith. Just like Wes just has facial hair. Just it's a part of the package. Wes and facial hair and God and his faithfulness. But we tend to measure God's faith by his relationship with us. And we measure his goodness by his relationship with the world. As though we are this way because of God's goodness. And as though the world is flipping out because of God's goodness. It's so hard to wrap our minds around this. But the exhortation that I give to you today is that Micah knew what he was doing when he was hoping in the Lord. And when we talk about hope, we talk about what we wish for. But maybe today is a day to switch our definition of hope in our lives to be waiting on God. To be trusting that he will do as he has said that he will do. 
This is such a hard sermon for me to preach. I, For those of you guys who follow me on Facebook, I've just been awarded a grant. I've just been awarded a grant to study the Korean American church in New England through a rise. And it's a very, well, it's not a big deal. Like a lot of you guys might not even know what a grant is. Um, but the reason why it's a big deal is because I'm like the youngest person to have gotten it by like a far margin, um, in like the past 25 years, <laughs> everybody else are like reverend doctors and they all have gray hair. Um, most of them are not Asian. And so it's, it's, it's really, I have no idea how I got it. And when I was applying for this grant to, to study the Korean church of new England and to be out here, um, I was grasping at straws. It was so, it was so, I was so hopeless about it because it was so impossible um, that a girl who hasn't even completed her MDiv should um, be awarded a grant like this. But, and there are witnesses in our community. I was finishing up, I'm, I'm telling you this testimony because, because I want you guys to understand the necessity of hope and the reality of God, okay? I was finishing up the final page of, of my proposal and you know the final page is like basically nothing but your name in the middle and your title and who it's presented to right that's just the professional way to do it right so I finished my final page I closed my laptop okay my roommate Tara and Grace they were just studying out in the living room and Tim was there as well and so I had asked him to bring my laptop to the living room because I had needed to do something and then I opened my laptop I had been praying to God for months about whether or not I should stay in New England and study it further. If I should stay in New England and be here and and do this grant, do research and continue on with my studies for the sake of the Korean church because it was so far-fetched to me, right? And I was like, God, if you tell me yes, I'll do it. And if you tell me no, I won't do it. It's like, give me a yes in the clouds. A yes in the clouds. Somewhere. Just, I just, yes. May it pop up on the wall. Jesus, amen. May it pop up on my screen. May somebody text me a yes. Amen. And I was like, please. I don't want to, I can't do this until you tell me. So tell me, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I open my eyes. I look at the clouds. I look at my phone. I look at the floor. There is no yes anywhere. Um, (laughs) And so I wait. I wait a week. Not actively, just I keep living and time goes by. But I, I, I told God, I was like, it doesn't have to be right now, but when the time is right, Lord, tell me yes and I will do it. And tell me no and I will not. And I will go home. And then Tim is just my he's just delivering. He's just the he's just making good on my my favor while I was doing some chores and and then I finished my chores and I go out to the living room and I, I, I had fixed my final page. I had saved it and I had shut the laptop. That was it, right? So I opened up the laptop to just do some final revisions on the proposal for the grant. I have this screenshot. I'll, I'll put it up on, on, I'll send it to you guys. If you guys, for those of you guys who want to see, I'll send it to you guys. I have proof because I freaked out. I kid you not. I opened my laptop and it like on the fine, on the title page, there was a yes. Like I, this was the final draft. I had saved it. There was no, that was the last thing I said. I closed my laptop. I opened it and there was a yes on the word doc. I screamed. I was like, to Tara and Grace, I was like, did you write this? Did you write this? I go to say, did you write that? They're like, what are you going, what are you talking about? And I'm like shaking in my pants, right? And I tell them the story. Then they're shaking in their pants because this yes has materialized out of nowhere. I take a picture of it with my phone. I screenshot it on my computer. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I make a duplicate copy. It's still saved as it is because I was like, oh my God, if God has written on this, I ain't touching it no more. So I made a copy of it and I continue adding that copy. I was like, I can't touch this anymore, right? I freaked out. At that time, I didn't have a recommendation and I wasn't done with my draft. And you would think when you experience something like that, you're going to be like, yes, God is going to do this for me. It's impossible, but I believe in the Lord. That's what I should have done, right? Everybody who's close to me knows how I died. I died. I perished. (laughs) I perished of hopelessness. It's like, no, there is no hope. 
literally maybe two hours later I was like oh no it's not happening this is not this is just this is not this is not happening there's no way somehow I managed to get a recommendation from a really really uh influential pastor that I really and professor I really respect and love um but even then I was like you know God it's a pipe dream I know, I know, you know, maybe you wrote that, yes, and maybe you didn't. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. But I, I don't think I'm going to get it. So just prepare my heart to trust in you, Lord. Now, last month, I, I wait, September, I, this was in the beginning of September. September goes by, October goes by. They say that they were going to post their results or they were going to send out their results at the, at the beginning of October or the beginning of November. And I just wait and I wait and nothing comes. I'm like, oh, I didn't get it. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's not, it's not a result that I'm, I was not expecting. Like, that was very reasonable. I am literally the most underqualified person ever that might have ever applied for this. And yeah, you know, it's okay. Then I get an email from Louisville Institute. And the first line says, congratulations. And I basically checked out. I, I opened my door and I said, okay, Pastor James, retired. <laughs> I'm gone. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. I'm dead. I'm dead again. And and over the next couple of days, I've been in a lot of incredulousness as my school, Gordon Connell has posted it on their news and it's all over everywhere. And I'm just like, you know, what the heck is going on right now? Um, but as I was preparing the sermon, what, I, what one thing I was really thinking about is, why didn't I trust in God? I'm a pastor. And if, if I prayed something and God said yes, in the most, he freaking typed it out into a Word document because I didn't get it the first time. And I, I just... There was every reason to trust in the Lord and have faith in him, but I didn't have hope. I couldn't wait. By November, I had already resigned myself to defeat. And yet God did what he said he would. I should not have gotten that grant. By God's grace, in God's love, not just for me, but for the Korean Church of New England, I have an opportunity to be paid to research the church for the sake of its future. And that one door leads to many doors. Who knows? But I didn't trust in God. And yet he still did it. And I'm left ashamed that I didn't trust in the Lord. Why don't we trust in God, guys? If God has said that he will save us, that he has done it, that he has reconciled us to himself, that he loves us, that he does not leave us alone in our sufferings, but that he is with us, he has not forsaken us, that we are children of God, sons in which we can cry out, Abba, Father, that he will take care of us, if he can take care of the lilies and the sparrows in the air, if he can clothe the flowers in the field, how much more will he take care of you? Those are words from Christ himself. And yet, why don't we trust God? Why is our hope in this vague thing that floats in the air when the origin of hope is waiting on the Lord with confidence in his promises? How come we don't know how to do that? Why can't we just take him at his word? Jesus came to save us and he died for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have a living hope that does not fade or grow stale. We have a God that meets us all in our situation right now. A God that sees every tear, that sees every, every bit of pain. 
a God that is with us right now. And yet, why don't we trust in him? What does it look like to live out hope for you? I feel the burden of the spirit on me when I say hope again in the Lord. Hope properly. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Lift up your burdens, your worries to the Lord and dare to trust him because he has already given his word. Don't be like me. Don't be foolish. Don't live with, I I have been living, I have been breaking. I am so sorry to God um, that he had promised something and that I didn't believe it. And yet God promised his son. He promised himself. And while everybody was unaware, what he promised happened. He came to die for you and me so that we might become the righteousness of God. Whether or not you believe it, whether or not you trust him, God loves you. And you might be thinking that your life is pretty hopeless right now. My question to you is, what is your hope? What are you hoping in? What are you hoping in? What you want? What is your hope? See, hope is not circumstances. Hope is not COVID lifting. Hope is a person. And his name is Jesus. Most of y'all lives before y'all had me, you might have heard Mary and Joseph's story a gazillion times every time this Sunday. But I really believe that God, that I came here to tell you, because that is God's word for you, I really believe it, to hope in the Lord. Stop looking at the world. Wait on God. I didn't believe it. Even when I asked for it and I saw it, I didn't believe it. Even though God has saved all my family, God has saved me from death itself. Even though I have been transformed from the inside out by God's grace, I still didn't believe it. Hope in the Lord. Trust because He loves you. Dare to be assured in the love of God. Trust in his promises. Praise God before the breakthrough. And intercede for his people. Trust in him. Some of you might be in more bleak places of your heart than others. Maybe you might feel that your darkness is unending. Trust in the Lord. Hope. Hope in God. And when you lose hope, remember. When you lose hope, when you feel like you are losing your grasp, on trusting that God is who he says he is and trusting that you are really loved by God. When you are losing your grasp on your faith and you are losing your foothold because of the world around you, 
remember God. Remember his love. Remember the blood. And remember, our hope is not in better things or in a better future. It's in a person who has done it all when he came last time and will come again. Jesus is real. And he is our hope. This world might burn to the ground. But you know what? We will never lose our hope. For some of you, this might be encouraging. And for some of you, it might be humbling and convicting. Because maybe you are hoping in yourself. Hope in the Lord. What does that look like for you guys? Let's enter into a time of prayer. What does that look like for you guys? into a time of prayer. We hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkmc.com.